Welcome to the Home Inspector Marketing Podcast. Because you're a home inspector looking to increase your sales, improve your cash flow, and boost your bottom line, you are in the right place. For additional training resources on how you can grow your home inspection business, go to microreturns.com right now. And now, here's the podcast. Hi, this is Mike Crow, and I run a home inspection business. In fact, I've run a couple of home inspection businesses. The true joy for me, though, has been helping literally thousands of home inspectors build really solid home inspection businesses as well. We can help a single man operation be able to do over $300,000 a year, maybe all the way up to $400,000 a year as a single inspector operation. Even better for me is the 80 plus companies that we have helped be able to build million dollar home inspection businesses. I would like to help you be able to do the same thing. Well, here we are again, and we are going to chapter 13. I'm going to tell you a quick little story real quick. 13 is my lucky number. When my oldest uh, was young, she used to count from 1 uh, to 20, and she would always forget 13. She would go 12, 14. So it became my lucky number. So she would remember dad's lucky number, <laughs> okay? Finally, we, we made that connection, and sure enough, she was able to go 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. And it was so much fun. And so 13 has always had kind of a special place in my life since then. And here we are in chapter 13, your strategic objective. On the last recording, we talked about your primary aim. And that primary aim, of course, is building your business so it supports the lifestyle that you want. So here's the question. Now we're talking about your strategic objective, your strategic objective, okay? And your strategic objective is a very clear statement of what your business has to ultimately do to make your primary aim possible. Your strategic objective is a very clear statement of what your business has to ultimately do to make your primary aim possible. So your strategic objective is not a business plan. Everybody goes, oh, we need a business plan. Well, yes, you do. And I'm going to tell you, most of my business plans are like one or two pages. I have built thousand page business plans. And most of the time I learned a few things through the process, but most of what I learned was that you can make all kinds of plans. It just, it isn't going to matter some days. Imagine in 2020, anybody had a business plan for 2020 when the pandemic hit, right? Throw that puppy out the window. And so we had to learn to be flexible, have to learn to be fluid, have to learn to adjust. So your strategic plan is not a business plan. Business plans are great marketing tools, but they're not business development tools, and they're not personal development tools either, okay? So not that you shouldn't have a business plan. You probably should, but unless your plan can be reduced to a set of simple, clearly stated standards, probably only going to confuse you more than it's going to help you, all right? Your strategic objective is just a list of standards. It's a tool for measuring your progress toward a specific end, all right? So think of it this way. It's kind of a template for your business to make certain that the time you invest in it, you produce exactly what you want. So the first standard is money. Money is no different than a football score. You know, are you winning? Or are you losing? You know, could you imagine in football if you had a negative number? Okay, that would be pretty bad. And by the way, there's some teams out there that probably could really make that happen. But, you know, in football or any sport, you start at zero and you work your way up. Well, in business, sometimes you start at zero and you work your way down. And so it's kind of an interesting thing. But the first standard of your strategic objective is money. 
what are your gross revenues, all right? If you don't know the answer to what you want to make or what you think you need to make, how can you possibly know whether you're going to realize your primary aim? What is it going to cost you to live that kind of life that you want to have? So that's important. And by the way, gross revenues alone are not enough. And sometimes people go, Mike, all you talk about is gross revenues. Well, here's what I know. The more money I put on the top line, the gross revenue, the better chance I have of putting more money on the bottom line. Now, there's a lot of things in between those two things that you can adjust to help make sure you put more money on the bottom line. It was kind of funny. I was talking with uh, somebody recently and we were getting ready to do this thing and they're going, man, how, how are we going to afford that? I said, there's one way to afford it that's easier than any other. And they all looked at me and I said, go make more money, <laughs> you know, and they laughed, but that is part of the way I live my life, okay? So gross revenues alone are not enough. You also have to know what are your gross profits going to be and, and what are your net pre-tax profits and what are your net after-tax profits. You need to have all those numbers and you need to know what those numbers are and you need to be able to measure those. How can you possibly know now what your business is going to produce and sells that far in the future? That's what people want to tell you. Well, I don't know. You know, even recently I was sitting with my son, working my half a day a week, by the way, and I said, what are, what are we gonna hit in uh, this month? And he went, I don't know, 200, 200K plus. And I went, well, that's good, get closer. Tell me more, what do, you, what do you think we're really, nail it down within 5,000 of what you think we're gonna hit. And we went through the process of how to get to that number. Uh, so the question is, you can know if you put the right systems, the right people, the right resources in place, you start to get to the point where you can know with fairly accurate predictability what your gross revenues are going to be. And if you can't do that, then that's probably a problem that we need to talk about and help you fix. So the answer though, of course, is that you never know exactly what you're gonna make. So if you were to take last year because of the pandemic, well, we thought we were going to make 200000 and we didn't get anywhere close to that. We got close, but nowhere close to that. And then in April, it was even worse with the pandemic, okay? So the truth is you can't accurately always predict what you're going to do. Now I'm going to tell you something really weird. It doesn't really matter. At the beginning of your business, any standards are better than no standards. Any standards are better than no standards. Have something to shoot for. Creating money standards is not just strategically necessary for your business. It is strategically necessary for your life, for the realization of your primary aim. So I've been in business long enough and I've started enough businesses that when I started this last one, I went to my wife and I said, please tell me how much money you need to run our household without worrying about something. And she went, I need this number. And I said, okay, here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make sure you have that number every single month. But everything that comes in above that, I will feel free to turn back into the business and build things and, and work on stuff. I'm not sure she was totally thrilled with that thought process, but that's it. And I'll, here's one of the things I will tell you. When you're in business, one of the things that I try to tell guys is that you should not be paying yourself a percentage of what your business does. You should put yourself on a salary and pay yourself what you need right now so that you can turn the rest to grow the business to get to what you want. And a lot of people miss that. And it's such, such an important thing. So the first question 
about money is how much money do I need to live the way I wish to live? And and think about this. How much money do I need to live the way I wish to live? Not just now, but five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Okay. And, and I looked around the room when I was 20 something, and I looked at all these guys that were 50 something, almost 60. And I went, wow, what am I going to do with my 30 years? So I don't end up like them. Okay. Now, most of those guys are 80 plus years old. And when I'm 80 plus years old, I want to make sure I have, again, enough income to take care of a whole wide range of things that I want to make sure that I have in my life. And I'm doing that currently. Even as I sit here and talk with you, things are happening to make sure that that comes into place. So remember, first your life, then your business. First your life, then your business when it comes to numbers. But I will tell you that In my life, I have set it up so that I can work on just minimizing the amount of money that I put into my life so that I can maximize the money I can leverage to build the business. And it's one of the things that people don't understand. In fact, let me go back even further for you here. When I was in the grocery business, I was in the grocery business for like 13 years. Every time I got a raise, I increased the amount of money that went into the credit union. The credit union is one of those banks that businesses have for that business. And so we had our own credit union at the the great stores of Winn-Dixie. We had the Winn-Dixie Credit Union. And so every time I got a raise, I took a look at how much my raise was. And sometimes it was 10 cents an hour. Sometimes it was 25 cents an hour. Sometimes it was a dollar an hour. If I got promoted, sometimes it was much bigger. And I would take a look at that. And at least 50% of that raise went into the credit union. And I might take... 50% of that home to increase my lifestyle. The average person out there, what they do is they go in debt trying to live the lifestyle they want instead of trying to figure out how to live the lifestyle with what they make currently. By the time I was done, right at the very end, I was putting over $100 a week, I think maybe even $125 a week into the credit union each week with my paychecks. And so When I went into this business, one of the things that me and my dad sat down, we said, we need to put at least $500 a month into this business to be able to grow it properly. And I went, well, okay, I can do that because I was already doing it. The average person can't do that. The average person doesn't even know how to do that. And by the way, those numbers today probably would be closer. I need $2,000 a month to be able to put into this business to grow it because that was 30 plus years ago. All right. So I just want to make sure that you see that. Remember, first your life, then your business. And then once you have that number, then you can ask the second question in the creation of standards for your strategic objective. What kind of business will provide me with the amount of money I'll need to be independent of work? So what kind of business do I need? And then the first assumption you have to make is that your business is an opportunity worth pursuing. The reason I got into the home inspection world is because it was an opportunity worth pursuing. Sometimes the reason people become accountants is because it's an opportunity worth pursuing. Same thing for real estate agents, same thing for a dentist or financial advisors. And there are so many different types of businesses that you could be in to help you grow your future and set things up for that. I quit the grocery business because I knew that the home inspection business for me 
was an opportunity worth pursuing that would get me to where I needed to go. I knew it would give me a much higher ability to do things. And by the way, had I not done that, I may have taken that money and then started investing it in real estate. I might have taken that money and started investing or learned how to invest in the stock market, or I might have taken that money and learned how to invest it in other things. But I would have found something that made that opportunity worth pursuing. So the second standard is an opportunity worth pursuing. How do you know whether you have an opportunity worth pursuing? So look around, ask yourself, does the business I have in mind alleviate a frustration experienced by a large enough group of consumers to make it worth any while? And so obviously the home inspection business, as soon as I saw that, I went, how in the heck would anybody buy a house without having someone knowledgeable look at it to let them know, you know, what was wrong with it or whatever. And I immediately recognized that need. Now, here's the cool thing is that was a new need that was showing up. However, in most cases, those needs already exist. So it might be selling ice creams on the beach. There's a need for that, okay? Is that an opportunity worth pursuing for you? It might be, okay? Maybe it's the fact that people need accounting. Maybe it's the fact that people need uh, financial help. Maybe it's the fact that people have teeth and they need dentist. Uh, whatever that is, there are a lot of examples out there that already exist. But I will tell you, one of the secrets is how you approach those completely changes everything. That's something we'll talk about uh, in a later recording. And then ask yourself, you know, what kind of business am I in? All right. And the product is what your customer feels. I want to say this very carefully. The product or service you provide is what your customer feels as he walks out of your business or walks away from you. What he feels about your business more important. Otherwise, you're a commodity, okay? And you do not want to be a commodity, all right? So there's that. So what's your product? What feeling, what feeling will your customer walk away with? Will they walk away with peace of mind? Will they walk away with order, power, love? What is, what is that person really buying when they buy from you? What is that person really buying when they buy from you? And the truth is, nobody's interested in the commodity. If I say home inspection, people, oh, okay, yeah, I need a home inspection. But, I mean, they could use anybody for a home inspection. But if I tell them we do home inspections guaranteed, that changes everything. And, and that's one of the things that we brought to the market. We brought to the market a whole list of warranties that we do with our inspection. And now that is a nationwide kind of a basis for a lot of companies out there, Okay. And so people will buy feelings, what they need rather than what the service or service itself is. And then the question becomes, well, who is my customer then? All right. And that consumer that has a lot of set of characteristics through which you can define him, you need to ask yourself these questions. What are their age, their sex, their income, their family, their status, their education, their profession, and so forth. And I'm going to tell you a secret. This is really important. Here's one of the things that changed my world. I took this whole process and then I kicked it up a step and I created the term mavens. Now the term mavens exist out there, but I took that term and what I meant was instead of going after the consumers, what if we could go after the person that most influences that consumer and that is a maven, someone that can refer us over and over and over and over again. Now I've done this in over a hundred different businesses. I could go after home buyers. I could go after home sellers and set it up to do inspections for them. But when I go after mavens that can refer us to home buyers and home sellers, 
or investors or a whole other group of people, that completely changes the ballgame. Now, we'll talk more about that later, but I definitely just wanted to throw that tidbit in there for you. All right. So the only way to tell whether this is an opportunity worth pursuing is to determine how many selling opportunities will you have. So in the home inspection world, how many homes are being sold? And out of those homes, how many are being inspected? And so we take a look at those numbers. And then how successfully you think you can satisfy the emotional or perceived needs of those people that are needing that service or that product. And so you have to go through that. And once you have those things, then you can determine the business that you're in. Now, most of you listening to this, you're already in business. You're already a home inspector. You're already a CPA. You're already a dentist. You're already a financial advisor. You're already a real estate agent. We work with so many different types of companies. And here's kind of the good news is, especially if you're in a business that's been around for 10 plus years, there probably is already very easily identified a perceived need there. There's identified already an opportunity worth pursuing. Now the difference is how are you going to pursue that? So here's, here's the third part. Some of these standards that I want you to think about. See, there's no specific number of standards in your strategic objective. There are only specific questions that need to be answered. So here are some of the questions that you need to answer. When is your prototype going to be developed or completed? Okay. Will it take you two years, three years, 10 years? And I'm going to tell you that one of the things that I teach people over and over and over again, right now at least, is that three years is kind of a magic number. It took me longer, by the way, than three years to develop my first prototype. It took us closer to 10 years. But then there was no prototype or any other type of model for me to really work off of. And I had to do a lot of it by trial and error. And then I had to find this book, The E-Myth, that helped me redo it. Uh, and I had to go through some struggles to be able to get there. As I'm working with businesses right now, and so I'm working with a young man right now, and we are sitting down once a week, and we're helping him build his roofing business. Within three years, we'll have a very good prototype business that he can not only run and be part of, but be able to show it to other people. And so when is your prototype going to be completed? Next question, where are you going to be in business? Is it going to be locally, regionally, nationally, internationally? And that, of course, is up to you. And then the next question is, how are you going to be in business? Is it retail, wholesale? Is it a combination of the two? Is it a service business? Is it a product? Whatever it is that you need to take a look at, how, how are you going to be in business in that regards? And then the last one, and this is the one that, you know, everybody kind of thinks they have those first three of when and where and how. And then this last one is what really uh, kind of gets me. And as I went through this book, originally, I wrote down done, done, done. And then I wrote down next to this one, needed. Okay. So what standards are you going to insist upon regarding reporting, cleanliness, clothing, management, hiring, firing, training, and so forth? Those are the standards that you have to set into your prototype business. That is what's going to make your business different than everybody else. And this is one of the reasons I study so many other businesses. I recently came back from Walt Disney World. And every time I go there, I'm looking at their standards, okay? What's their standards on reporting, cleanliness, clothing, management, hiring, firing, training, and, and, and by the way, pricing, all right? So I'm always studying that sort of thing. And you can kind of begin to see that the standards you create for your business will shape both your business and the experience that your business will have on other people. 
you can begin to see that the standards you create for your business will shape both your business and the experience, not only that you have, but your customers, your consumers, your patients, whatever it is will have in the business, okay? And those standards, those become your strategic objective. Those will create um, the model of your business and the way it actually appears to the public and even to the people that work inside of it. Standards, by the way, create the energy by which the best companies and the most effective people produce results. That's the last sentence out of this chapter, and I want to say it again. Standards create the energy by which the best companies and the most effective people produce results. Now, one of the things that I talk about a lot is beware the 95%. And in the world, you are surrounded by the vast majority of people that are not worried about results. They're worried about how something looks and feels. And then when it doesn't work out, they look for the reason. Another word for that might be excuse that it didn't work out. And you need to be very careful with that. The difference between the 95% and the 1% is excuses and results. And what I want to try to help make sure that you see, the reason I'm going through this book is because at a certain point, I was getting a lot of results. But then what I realized was that they weren't the results I wanted. So then I started making excuses of why that was the case. What I realized was I needed to be producing different results. And when you produce the right results, you don't have to make excuses. In fact, when you produce the right results, then you get to show other people how to be able to do it as well, which is why I consistently say, be successful and be around those that are successful. When you're hanging around successful people, and I don't mean, I don't mean fake successful people that spend a lot of money they don't have. I mean, really successful people, people that have produced result after result after result and produced the lifestyle that they want and produce the kind of business that helps support that lifestyle. When you hang around those kind of people, everything changes. Everything changes. You know, when I was a young man, I used to go down to the park and play football with a lot of other kids. And when we had really good players, I played better. When we had players that weren't so good, I played at a lower level. You will play at the level of people you hang around. You need to make sure you're hanging around those people that are playing at their best. And that's one of the things we try to help people do. Uh, in fact, I do some questions and answers every other week. My office has had so many people reach out that they set up this simple email, hello at coachblueprint.com. So many people have been trying to say, how do we, how do we get more of Mike? And, and by the way, I just want you to know, I, I'm humbly appreciate that. So one of the things that we started doing is doing a questions and answers currently anyway, and we may stop at any time, just so you know. So don't go, well, I thought you told me you do this. Yeah, we are doing it right now as I'm making this recording. Every other week on Tuesdays, we do a questions and answers. And not a lot of people show up. However, the people that are, have heard this or people that have heard about what I've done in other directions, that's where you have your best opportunity to learn uh, and get straightforward answers from me on whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. And, you know, I loved uh, Radio Shack years ago. They used to say, you have questions, we have answers. Well, I like to tell people, you have questions, I have answers. The cool thing about uh, being 60 plus years old and helping over 100 uh, people build million dollar companies is that 
I could probably take a look at whatever it is you're looking at and within a short period of time, give you a pretty reasonable answer of what you need to do next. Even better, if you're just starting out, man, wouldn't it be better to know and have an exact template or blueprint uh, of exactly what you need to do and how you need to build it? And I'm going to tell you, honestly, the best way to do that is study other successful people. Well, that's all today. I do want to tell you thank you. And again, be successful. Be around those that are successful. This is Mike Crow, the father of Home Inspector Marketing. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. And as a friendly reminder, if you're looking to increase your sales, improve your cash flow, and boost your bottom line as a home inspector, go to microreturns.com right now.